Just like that, the final hour is here on this Tuesday edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Glad you're with us. Over the next 60 minutes, plenty to discuss across college football. Christian Hackenberg, former Penn State quarterback, he will be with us in 20 minutes. Hutton, people have accused me of uh, zoning out and, like, texting and doing things while you're talking. Yeah. And what I'm actually doing most of the time, like right now, is tweeting out a link to our show when something's going on. And I'll like do the same right You'll now. see it. Like, it's easier because of the way I tweet the YouTube link oh, on, on my phone. computer. And then I tweet the Twitter link from my phone. It's easier. Um, so sometimes I am on my phone actually doing stuff for the show, too. I just want to I never thought people. you were. Just like when Adam Schefter is on his phone on the set on ESPN, and he's looking at his phone the whole time, and I find it kind of funny the way he does it because no one else does that. He's actually working. He is reading and responding to texts that are newsworthy, I'm sure. Uh, Chad, from TMZ, the Tui family claims that Michael Orr attempted a $15 million shakedown before the court filing. There we go. From the report, the Tui family claims that before Michael Orr made outlandish, hurtful, and absurd allegations about them in court on Monday, he actually tried to shake them down for $15 million. Wow. Uh, This is just getting started. So if they can prove that, and it sounds like uh, little little Tui, SJ, Sean Tui Jr., the way he said, I went back and saw texts from 2020 and 2021 about that. Well, not going to bode well. Or for Michael Orr. Or that's whatever they came up with on the 2.5% and getting his fair share of the all, all of the money that came after no, the $250 I, look, payment. I think there is a solid chance that they made money after the fact that they cut Orr out of. The family did, based on what Tui Jr. said. But if they have text and correspondence that show that Michael Orr essentially knew about it and was blackmailing them for money and shaking them down, then filed a lawsuit years later, that's not going to bode well with this lawsuit from Michael Orr. It also is not going to look good for the Tui family if, in fact, they made more money than they're claiming off the movie. Yeah, from the attorney on behalf of the Tuis, the notion that a couple worth hundreds of millions of dollars uh, would withhold a few thousand dollars in profit participation payments from anyone, let alone from someone they loved as a son, defies belief. Here we go. Buckle up. Uh, looking forward to Christian Hackenberg joining us uh, in about 18 minutes or so. Chad, you mentioned this uh, at the end of the last hour. The NFL of college football, and this is an exercise that you wanted to to uh, take a, a stab at based on the comments that Chip Kelly and others have made of, hey, just take the top 64 in Division One at the highest level and break them up into their own independent status and their own a different group. Take the remaining 64, and they're also playing for a, a national championship as well, and it, it should sort things out. Well, your response earlier, uh, end of last week, was, hey, uh, why not – why, why 64? Why, why not look at it from a 32-team perspective the way the NFL has with their divisions and conferences? Where did you start with this, and did you find it more difficult than what you may thought it would be? I found it more difficult, and uh, here's one thing that it was difficult for me. Um, the math of it was harder from this perspective. This would have been easier for me to break it out into 36 teams. I think. Okay. So 
I, I think six team, six, six team divisions would have been the final product would have been less controversial because there are a few in there that are very similar to other programs that you would say, well, why this one over that one? Three or four, you're saying. And quite frankly, my argument is because I say so. Okay. Well, and because geographically and, and it makes region. more sense. Yeah. 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 And region makes sense. And so you have a lot of in, other reasons. But anyway, you're breaking this up east, uh, northwest. Look, I, I, again, this is not what I want, but this is the understanding of if it's all going to be about money and we're headed in that direction, if you were going to collectively bargain, you want to do it the way the NFL does it. That's why they make all the money. Everyone watches the games. And they are a strong 32-team unit that just knocks the crap out of everyone. They steamroll the, uh, their NFL Players Association. They steamroll the networks. They get everything done. And they make all sorts of money because of it. So instead of going, like Chip Kelly said, a 64-team super division, why split it among 64 teams when there's going to be some really not ever pulling their weight? Mm-hmm. Let's be strategic and go to 32. So, with that out of the way, my 32-team NFL of college football super division. We begin in the East Division. I'm making this so NFL, I'm not even changing the names of the way they would. It's going to be East, South, North, West. Okay. The East. Controversy number one, Hutton. Syracuse would be in this. Now, you may argue, what has Syracuse done lately? Their attendance is not great. Syracuse has won multiple national championships. Syracuse is the biggest football program in the state of New York. That is an important state for what I'm building. Clearly, the state of New York is a big state for the NFL when you look at the Buffalo Bills and the two New York teams. I want the biggest program in the state of New York in my super conference. So Syracuse makes the cut. Penn State. Penn State is not a Midwest school to me. It is a Northeastern power. It was under Joe Paterno. They're in the Big Ten, but they make sense for the East. Florida State, Miami, Florida, Georgia. I love that four-pack in the same conference, all Eastern time zone, some coastal, like them in the East. And then North Carolina, Notre Dame. This is one where geography, got to play some games, right? But, you know, the Indianapolis Colts are in the AFC South. So geography always doesn't hold, but Notre Dame would be in the East with North Carolina and the rest of these teams. Okay, and uh, just first glance here, just a, a quick reminder: uh, this is about football. This is you know not program, athletic program. If not, it, it, you could argue UConn, but the, again, this is football. Also, this is where good Duke, point. This has nothing to do with any. This other sport. is where Duke would have been, um, and North Carolina is there. Of course, NC State is not. Duke is not on this list. I just want to point that out, too, because I'm, I'm just looking at the teams yeah. you have here. Uh, Georgia, Florida, Miami, Florida State. Um, yeah. Well, uh, and let's, and let's kind of go. I want to go sense. through it, Hutton, because Duke may appear on another list. You don't know. Not another, uh, another region. But Interesting. they don't. Okay. But I want to get through I'm all sad, of them because then we'll Knowing get, your parameters, this we'll, is where we'll they would have been. We'll get through the exclusions okay. afterward. And, and, right. and good point. This is all college football. This has nothing to do with any other sport. None of that's taken into consideration. So let's go next to the South. South Division. Very similar to the SEC, but also not. LSU, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, 
Texas A&M, Texas, TCU. So you have, I don't think anyone can argue with LSU, Tennessee, Alabama as brands and eyeballs and money they bring in. Clemson also in football, same way. A&M, Texas, powerful. Auburn, I don't think you can write the history of college football without including Auburn in that history. So, yes, they are the second school in the state of Alabama. They're in a very small town, but it's Auburn. And they've won a national championship in the last 15 years. So Auburn makes the cut. TCU, a growing brand, big market, also in there. This is my South Division. Hutton, any issues with this one? Now, Auburn is clearly, to me, the last team in of the South Division. Over an, an Ole Miss. I'm trying to think of the others that would have factored in to See, your TCU debate. See, TCU was my last in. Auburn was right ahead of them. But you're close. Okay. Auburn was one of the tough ones. Uh, the others are no-brainers here. <laughs> Um, based on the significance and, and the powers that they've been or currently are across uh, the college football landscape. North Division. This is uh, where you would think would be very Big Ten-centric, and you'd be right. By the way, the South is the money division. That's it is. That's the way I would describe I it. I think this is a pretty good. North is great. Pretty good money division also. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. I wrestled back and forth with Michigan State making this list. They mm. were a late addition. I'll tell you who I was debating okay. between Michigan State on. There's a, a couple teams. Nebraska, that's another one. Yep. What have they done lately? Again, you cannot write the history of college football without including Nebraska, and they've got a huge and great fan base also. Uh, Matty Ice's Iowa Hawkeyes barely made the cut, but made the cut nonetheless. Because of their brand of offense, not because yes. of their significance. I, I received a text from <laughs> David, David Hookstead of, uh, of OutKick saying that he's going to disavow the list if Wisconsin's not on it. Don't worry, Hookstead. Wisconsin makes the list yeah. in the North Division. Oklahoma and, wait for it, Arkansas. Arkansas was a tough one for me. They were one of the uh, – this is like the NCAA tournament hunt, and they're a last four in yeah. on this whole list. They've but been sent to the north, to Arkansas, the wall. there's some power there. There's some good branding there. They, they have been sent north of the wall. But Arkansas in the North Division with Oklahoma. Shall we go west? We should. However, I, I, I'm looking at the the Big Ten significance here. And, uh, yeah, I understand where Penn State is in the division. But this is a this is a huge, just based on the hypotheticals here, this is a big win for Penn State to not have to play in the North Division of this, uh, of this oh, league you're putting well, together. Well, yes and no. I mean, they still have to play Notre Dame, Florida, Georgia – Florida State, Miami. So they yeah, got to go way but, south. But they're not losing Ohio State and Michigan every year. No. They'll just lose to Florida and Georgia every <laughs> year instead. Uh, let's go west. This is the final division. So, again, four eight-team divisions getting to 32 teams. This is a 32-team super conference, power programs in all of college football. Colorado. Deion Sanders helps. Geography helps. They've won a national title in the last 40 years. That helps in, in, as part of this. So I put the buffs on the list. Utah, I think, is one that is a huge growth potential as a program. Geography also helped the Utes. You know what else helped them? Their natural rival, BYU. BYU is one of the most underrated, huge programs in America. They have national and international reach because of the Mormon church. And they're tied to it. That's a great rivalry for the Big 12 currently. BYU, Utah, Colorado feels right in the West Division 
of this college football super conference. You know who else feels right? USC. You know who doesn't? UCLA. I thought UCLA was an add-on the whole time with the Big Ten deal. I don't see their value as much in college football. I don't. If this is a basketball, all-sports division, sure. UCLA makes the cut. Not for my football conference. Oregon does. Washington does. Baylor does in Texas. Baylor, the most eastern of the teams in the West Division. Stanford is currently without a conference, but I have them in my 32-team super conference. Why? I think it is important to have at least one or two, and I'm, I'm counting Notre Dame in on this as well, academically-minded private schools in this division. Who want to do both. Who want to do both, and Stanford's one of those. And Stanford's been really good at football also throughout the years. They've had downtimes like anyone else, but they've been very, they were very good under David Shaw. They've been very good in the past. So Stanford makes the cut. So those are the 32 teams. Hutton, is there anyone that jumps out to you Well, as you look at them right now as was, a clear omission? Was Colorado the last team in? Colorado, I'll give you my last few I debated on. Well, so me, so the, other, the other program as I'm looking through, where is Pitt? Pitt um, was not under heavy consideration, and I'll tell you why. When there was a program that was clearly the head of them within their state – that I thought brought the value of that state with it. Tennessee and Vanderbilt here locally, an okay. example, right? Like you get the middle Tennessee market. You get all that with Tennessee and the branding. So if you're clearly, clearly second, way behind and don't offer enough value, then I, I, I don't put you in the, on the list. That's why Pitt didn't make it. The toughest ones for me were Michigan State. I, I, I went back and forth on Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota, Purdue... Michigan State were tough ones for me. Um, Kansas State. K-State was one I wrote was, down, too. Was a tough one. K-State, between K-State, Colorado, Utah, were ones that I debated also. Uh, Missouri. There may be some Missouri fans upset about this list. I'll give you another one. Kentucky was on and off the list three or four times. If you're mentioning them, that you've got to mention Mississippi State. Ole Miss. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, um, honestly kind of crossed each other out. Whether that's fair or not on my list, that crossed out the state. I couldn't really decide elevating one over the other. And I don't think, even in the terms of the SEC, they're bottom four of the SEC, of brand, of location. So that knocked them out of my list. I really did just start with, let me go SEC Big Ten no-brainer. And that list was about seven deep with each. All right, started the two most powerful. And then I added from there. Then I went, all right, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, no-brainers. That list was smaller of teams at the very top. And then you get into the, into the debate of teams on this one, probably 28 to 38 was the cutoff, right? There were probably six teams that didn't make it that I legitimately considered for it that didn't make the cut. Any legitimate interest in any non-Power 5 school or program? Central Florida has been on a run. They're not as good recently, but they certainly uh, stake their claim to unbeaten seasons. And they're now in the Big 12. You know, they're headed there this year. So I, I considered Central Florida, Houston, okay. Cincinnati, all making the move to the Big 12. Didn't really come close. Pittsburgh was closer of those type of schools, the city schools. 
Pittsburgh was closer to the top of the list. But honestly, I feel pretty good about this. I mean, there's you could make arguments for Kentucky over someone or Pittsburgh over someone or whatever it may be, but I um, I know it's my list, so it's shocking that I feel so good about it. I'd but love I, to see the, uh, I look at these 32, I'm like, you know, this is pretty right. I want to know who's representing the uh, College Football Players Association uh, as part of their union. And I'm assuming Greg Sankey is your commissioner. This takes all lawsuits out of it, too, when I factor this in. Because people are like, oh, well, the other 32 will just sue. Well, yeah, probably for not being included, but don't care. Christian Hackenberg, former Penn State quarterback, with us next on Hot Mike. Glad you're with us. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. It's been uh, uh, several months since we last had our, our next guest uh, on the show, Christian Hackenberg, college football quarterback for Penn State, uh, NFL as well, and now a professional podcaster. Just signed a, a deal with Mercury, um, and uh, it was Great last fall. Christian, thanks for coming back on the show, man. Hope things are well, and congrats on the new podcast. Yeah, Jonathan, appreciate it, man. It's been it's been fun, you know, staying around it, staying in it, and, and being able to kind of give a different perspective and my perspective on things, which is fun, and people people actually listen, yeah. <laughs> which no, is no, fun. That's, that, that's big. You've, that's lived big. It. You've lived it. Uh, is this Penn State specific, or is this across the college football landscape? Yeah, so um, the deal the deal with Penn State was just signed, so it is Penn State specific right now. But um, the goal is to eventually expand slowly and surely as as we get some momentum with it. It might might start Big Ten and then hopefully go nationally um, in terms of coverage. But uh, Mercury's got a great plan. They're doing some really cool things in the NIL space, and it's kind of surrounded around that getting getting involvement, figuring out ways how to how to help players uh, tell their story, create content, grab, grab some value in that market share. And, um, you know, for me, starting at Penn State's important, obviously, because, you know, I believe blue and white. So um, it was a great opportunity. Penn State, number seven in the AP college football preseason poll. And looking ahead, as usual, uh, Michigan and Ohio State, they're in the top four. Looking at their schedules, Ohio State and Michigan, I mean, that – They'll be unbeaten for a while based on the way things play out and when they play Penn State, which is in November. What what do you make of where the Nittany Lions are right now? And is it time for James Franklin to to win and climb the ladder to the next step? Yeah, listen, I think I can't remember a time that the program's had this much hype. It's 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 been some time in terms of expectations coming into the season. And the one thing that I've harped on specifically with Penn State for the past few years has just been a lack of identity, especially on offense. I think defensively, you know, Brent Pry did a great job and then Manny Diaz stepped in and did fine. And the way they recruited was to compete, in my opinion, with more of those uh, Ohio State attacks, you know, spread lateral game. You can you can match up with multiple different personnels. Um but offensively, I thought that they just really struggled. There's a lot of change at the coordinator position. Um, a lot of turnover there. And I think that this year they finally hit uh, a point where they, especially with a young quarterback coming in, can run the ball definitively. And to me, that's the that's the separation point between 
the Ohio States of the world, the Georgias of the world, the Alabamas of the world, and really everybody else is the ability to run the football on command and efficiently when they need to, but also have the ability to be explosive on the outside and creative with offensive schemes. Um, and you've seen that evolution uh, over the past few years. And I think Penn State just has lacked the toughness up front. But last year was a huge sign, uh, a huge sign of improvement. And I think they're doing a great job recruiting that position and continuing to develop it to where it needs to be. And like I highlighted, especially with a young guy stepping in, you know, everyone's talking about Aller and all that stuff and and Bo, Bo and who's going to be the guy. But to me, it really doesn't matter as long as they have a great foundation and get those guys some some meaningful reps under their belt with a great supporting cast and a great run game. How warranted is the hype around Aller coming into this season? Listen, he's a great player. He's got all the tools. Everyone talks about it. Um, but like I said, ultimately, I think it's going to come down to the guy that can go in there and execute and move efficiently. They don't have to be Superman in this system. Um, they don't have to try to 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 try to take games over early, you know, just kind of grow into those experiences, experience some failure. But obviously know that you're going to be able to rely on on guys outside and guys behind you to make up some ground and just make sure you're doing your job and executing and. You know, I've had a chance to talk to him a little bit um, heading into the season. I think he's got a great mindset. Um, but like I said, they've got they've got a really good room uh, top to bottom up there at, at the quarterback position. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they handle that from a coaching staff standpoint. But uh, to answer your question, I he's 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 got a lot of potential and I'm really excited to see how he takes advantage of those opportunities. Christian, it feels like everyone had a big opinion on USC and UCLA when they made the move to the Big Ten. I don't feel the same way about Oregon and Washington. Not that people are down on it, but all this stuff happened so fast, and maybe that was a part of it. But I've not mm-hmm. heard about that big splash when they were announced as two new teams, the Big Ten. What is your perspective, former Penn State quarterback, other side of the country, about yeah. Oregon and Washington joining the Big Ten? Well, I think the whole realignment thing's been – I think we're all getting numb to it now with, with people leaving, you know, Colorado. And then you have the sec just mopping up everyone that they can. And I said this from the beginning, I think ultimately it's going to come down to like an NFL type structure. There's going to be a North and a South. There's going to be subdivisions within that. And that's where it's going to play off into um, almost that expansion in the playoffs. And right now I just think it's, it's, Again, expected. I think we're numb to it, and I think ultimately it's just a very small move in the greater game of this of chess, in my opinion. From this uh, from this point, so I think it's great. I'm curious to see how everything's going to hash out. Um, obviously, as as a Big Ten guy, we have to keep up with the SEC, and they went out and got Texas. They went out and got Oklahoma. They've already got a loaded uh, a loaded roster from team standpoint that they've always had. So, if you're going to compete with the big boys, you got to go out and get some of those programs that can do that. And like I said, I think it's just more direction to where I think the overall picture and landscape of conferences and realignments are going to go. Christian Hackenberg, our guest here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. We all have our favorites uh, in terms of what we like and preferences on quarterback style, makeup, moxie, all of that. Of the top yeah. returning quarterbacks in college football, Christian, uh, with Williams and May, Leonard and Hartman, who do you look mm-hmm. at as your favorite? Maybe not just best player, but just favorite quarterback to watch and see grow as they push towards the NFL. Well, it's really hard not to enjoy watching Caleb Williams play, especially in today's game and today's schemes. 
it's it's changed so much even since I was coming out. You know, you, you have guys who can move around, facilitate more a point guard type of play. They're looking for high efficiency clips, playing laterally, and you're not recruiting those big guys that can work off play action, get outside the pocket, and push the ball down the field vertically. Not saying that Caleb can't do that. He can, but uh, it's just kind of a different makeup. Um, to me, my favorite, though, the guy who I enjoy watching the most because he's he's kind of a hybrid of the old school and the new school is uh, Drake May. He's he's really fun to watch. Um, it's an explosive system down there in North Carolina. Obviously, they're playing in the ACC, which is, you know, again, w- with all this conference realignment, a question mark of how relevant that conference is going to be. But fortunately, he put together a good enough year last year where I think he does the same thing this year. He's going to put himself in a really good position to to be drafted, you know. Like, I, like I've said this before, 1A, 1B, he's going to be in the conversation with those guys depending on fit. So um, my personal taste is Drake May, but I love watching Caleb Williams play. And like I said, I think that's the evolution in the direction the quarterback position's going. Speaking of fit, best fit for the rookie quarterbacks right now in the NFL and worst. Who, who do you really like based on where they are versus maybe where they are for the worst answer too? Yeah, it's tough. I, I mean, I'm going to go on a on a limb here mainly because he played really well and mainly because I've been on his hype train since last year was Aiden O'Connell. And I'm really excited to kind of see where um, his career path goes. I think he's in an awesome situation there with Jimmy. They brought him in Josh McDaniels. He's a great fit for him for that system. And he looked really, really good, really comfortable. And I've said it, I thought he was the most pro ready quarterback, put him in a system, let him facilitate. He may not have the highest upside, Internet clip there, I believe, on Christian's end. Maybe not. We've got the snipe, but we'll check back in. We'll with try him. to get him back. How about Aiden on. O'Connell being the answer? Aiden O'Connell uh, looked really good. Aiden O'Connell, I, I was reading the descriptions of every single uh, preseason game, and the description of O'Connell was that he's been terrible in camp so far and doesn't look the part, but he's just a natural gamer, that he got out there in the game and looked great. And that's kind of the way he was at Purdue, also. I believe I we, know, we got him back now. Christian's yeah. back with us yeah. now. We were uh, filling in the gap there for you a little bit. Uh, there you go. No, no problem. Sorry. You sound great now. Uh, yeah, Aiden yeah. O'Connell with the fit, and uh, it's it's certainly based on the coaching style and preference. Correct. I think the system plays well. And then to me, you know, if you're drafting the top five, you know, it's really tough to get in a great system with yeah. a great supporting cast. Um, you know, I think Carolina's done a good job, and I really like Frank Reich. I think Bryce Young's going to have a chance to do something. Um, with with regards to fit, I think Anthony Richardson has the highest kill, uh, climb in terms of a hill to climb just because of the amount of tape, the amount of games he played in college, how it was kind of up and down. And obviously the talent's there. Everything's there. I think it's just going to take some really good nurturing for them. But um, I think he has the, high, the highest hill to climb in terms of starting from day one and rolling from there. From your experience, uh, whenever you got to the Jets coming out of college, um, the transition with the hash marks, uh, where in, yeah. in college for the quarterbacks, everything is played sideline to sideline. The NFL is down the middle of the field. For the mm-hmm. rookies right now, how much of an adjustment is that? That, that certainly adds to the speed of the game, uh, the speed of certain uh, options within the offense and surveying. How much of an yeah. adjustment was that for you, and what are they facing this year? You know, I think the largest adjustment is the defense's ability to disguise things because it does kind of shrink things. And to to your point, when you're sitting in the college hash, you know, it, 
if it's cover six or they're cloud in the backside, like it's really easy to see that just because of distribution and, and time and space, like they, they have to be able to get to their, to their spot and they kind of, kind of have to tip their hand of where they're going rotation, so on and so forth. But when you're playing in the middle of the field, defenses can really disguise things. Well, you're really starting to key off of defensive alignments in terms of the fronts and the linebacker alignments to really tell you what that secondary is going to do, because those guys are, are freakishly talented. So they can really disguise things. And that's where, I think the hashes, uh, for at least my experience, um, made a big difference was being able to, to, to live and die by your pre-snap reads and, and what you're seeing, but it's a lot of read and react once the ball snapped. I feel like the commanders have really had sort of unconventional quarterback setups in the past. And at times, uh, Kirk Cousins is a guy who comes to mind just off the top of my head where fourth round pick, you know, RG3 gets hurt doesn't work out the expectations were so low for Kirk Cousins and he went over those expectations but said hey this guy's pretty good and he's sort of made yeah. a living as being the guy that you don't expect to be good that's actually good throughout his time with Washington and then the Vikings could Sam Howell be that type of player for Washington because that is of all the quarterback mm. situations across the league alongside maybe Tampa but at least they have a Baker Mayfield there one of the mm -hmm. least interesting stories to follow yeah. is what's going on there could Hal be that Kirk Cousins type for that organization well I think it's funny you're saying that because it diminishes that just by you bringing it up you know what I mean I think that there's there's <laughs> yeah. pressure there you know what I'm saying and if if people can realize that um and they start talking about it you know but I, I do like Sam's game and to to my point of like Caleb Williams and where the where the game's going you know defenses the old days of like seven step and a hitch throwing it to a spot those types of things are gone. Defenses are playing a lot more kind of hybrid man zone type of concepts, read and react. So it's really about being able to facilitate and distribute the football. And I think Sam can do that. Um, I thought he looked pretty, pretty good in the preseason. And to your point, there's not much in that room. And if you made an investment in the guy in the draft, like they did, you know, I think it's a great opportunity for him to show what he can do. And if he can be a sustainable uh, player in this league at that position, um, but ultimately you only see that when you roll them out on a light. So, um, you know, I think if I was in those shoes, that's what I would be doing. I'd be nurturing him as much as I can understand that I got Jacoby in the background who can step in and win me ball games and, and or at least keep me competitive because he's done that in the past. Christian Hackenberg with us final 45 seconds or so here. Is there a, a coordinator or maybe a head coach that you wanted to play for in the league, but never had the chance to do it in the four clubs you were with? No, oh, man, uh, that's tough. You know, I, I not off the top of my head, but I think, I think there's a lot of great minds out there now. And I think the young guys, um, the, the, uh, who's, who's in Philly right now. It's I'm sorry. Off the top of my head. Who's the head guy in Philly. Oh, uh, oh right. Yeah. Uh, Hurts. No, quarterback. no, no. The, the head coach. Why am I blanking on the head coach? Right yeah. Now in Philly? Why am I blanking oh, on uh, too? Um, I want to say, Stein I live in South that. Jersey. I'm going to get, I'm going to get smacked for this, but anyway, Love to play for him. I love his energy. Um, I thought Sirianni. Doug Peterson. Nick Sirianni. Yeah, Sir, yeah, Nick Sirianni. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of young guys stemming from that from that system that are just like really energetic. They, they they know football. At the end of the day, it's a copycat league. Like everyone's trying to do the same thing from a scheme standpoint, but I think it's mostly about confidence in the guys. And I thought Doug Peterson did a good job. My short time in Philly, I was I signed yeah. like halfway through training camp, but I love Doug um, for that reason. True players guy, really got the guys to buy in and got the best out of you. Um, and sometimes when you run into those guys who've been around a while, it's a lot of expectations, kind of vet favoritism at times. And and the young guys, you know, you just kind of have to hope you get 
hitched with the right person. But a lot of these young guys are invested in the youth and in, in, in the league. And I think it's really good and it benefits everybody. I'm fascinated to see Peterson in year two now with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, tell us uh, briefly how we can find the podcast. Yeah, um, we're going to be launching it uh, again through Mercury. I got it. We're, we're still working through the final details of hashing everything out. We think we got a name zeroed in, but nice. um, you know, I'll be pumping things out via my social media. Mercury will as well. Uh, my former teammate Adam Brenneman's doing a lot with it, so uh, we're going to see. You, you know, you, you'll see it following the social media channels. Love and, it. Um, first one should be coming out in the next couple weeks. We'll so. have you back on whenever that happens. Hey, thank you so much, man. Always uh, enjoy the chats. We'll we'll do it again soon. Thanks, Christian. Chad, Jonathan, appreciate it, guys. Appreciate you. Our thanks to Christian Hackenberg for joining us. Really good. Yeah, Always brings it. Penn State should be really good. Um, he's also a former Jets quarterback. Uh, we've got Hard Knocks episode two tonight. Yeah. Right? I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah. I'll probably get to it tonight. Or uh, Hard Knocks New York Jets is more like Hard Knocks Aaron Rodgers. And uh, he, I mean, he looks refreshed, energized. It's, it's amazing what a new scene will do, a fresh start. And a darkness retreat. And a darkness retreat that... You know, he comes out seeing green. And puking your guts out after <laughs> ayahuasca. And tripping. Whatever he's doing is working. Ten uh, years younger. Because here he is uh, earlier today with uh, Boomer and uh, Geo, um, and discussing how excited he is and hyped up he is to be in New York with the Jets organization. Now that you're here and you see this team up close and personal, uh, I guess is, is as good as you thought it was? Better. Better. Yeah, definitely better. I think sometimes you can say nice things about one thing and not be dissing another. So when I say great things about how I'm loving this year, I just I feel like I, I need to say before that that it's not a shot against Green Bay. I have a lot of love and, and gratitude for that time. But that chapter is over, and this has been you know better than I than I was even daydreaming about sitting in that hole in the ground thinking about what my life could be because I contemplated retirement, I contemplated coming back, and the Jets was always the team that was the most interesting to me because of Robert, because of Nathaniel because the way they whooped our ass last year. And just, I thought that, you know, it was going to be a good ball club, but it's really been better than I could have expected. And it feels like sometimes that I woke up inside of a dream and that this is my life playing out. I, you know, pinch myself at you know, various times throughout the week, every single week that I've been here. Like, man, how, how cool is my life right now? How, how special is this? I mean, it's like he's a rookie all over again, and only this time he doesn't have to sit behind Brett Favre for three years when he's a rookie. So he's coming into that first rookie situation where he feels fresh-faced, his soul is pure coming into it, <laughs> and he's ready to go. I mean, I seriously, that's what the, the sense I get from him. That first episode of Hard Knocks when he rallied up all the quarterbacks and was giving instructions on be sure when you're in the cafeteria to sit with a different group every day to get to know them, to be leaders on this team. Just little bits of advice like that. And the way his teammates talk about him, it's been refreshing. From a refreshed guy. Well, that's in his all new rookie season. Just to hear him speak. I mean, this is the same guy who would only talk to Pat McAfee last year on a weekly basis. That's right. And now he's, I mean, he's got the quarterback series or whatever following him around. He's going to, he's, he's the star of Hard Knocks. He's doing radio interviews in New York. I mean, he's the king of New York, as Dockage just referred to him. Uh, it, and, and uh, Armando as well. I, it, it's hard to disagree. And, and here's the other thing. Don't overlook the talent around him. It, not 
just saying offense. I get it. Uh, offensively, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, uh, Alan Lazard has followed him there. Uh, Randall Cobb is there. Yep. McCole Hardiman. I mean, they've got a, a nice group of receivers. In the backfield now, Dalvin Cook, and uh, you've got Brees Hall coming back. Plus, you have the options of, of Michael Carter as well, who's going to make the roster. Solid offensive line. But, Chad, don't overlook the fact that he is now with a defense that allowed 18 points per game in 2022. Number two in that category, second only to San Francisco that allowed 17. He's now playing for a defense, playing with a defense where he's just got to put up three touchdowns. Yeah, he doesn't have to be out of this world good. He doesn't have to be MVP Aaron Rodgers good. No. Just the good version of Aaron Rodgers that we've seen for the vast majority of his career. And with a defense like that, they're going to be fine. That illustration I made earlier about Sauce Gardner, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson, Offensive Rookie of the Year, and those two growing together with the Jets, it's fun to think about. And it's now, to me, the story that most people, if you're indifferent about that team, but want to see great things in the league, you're rooting for the Jets. At least I am. I'm rooting for them to do well and be relevant all year because this is a show that I want to watch. I'm not talking about Hard Knocks Jets or Hard Knocks Aaron Rodgers. Right. I'm talking about the New York Jets show. I want to watch them week to week. And that just that conference, the AFC, stacked. Yep. Stacked. Uh, here is Rodgers making a, a fan's day at a recent Jets practice. I don't know. I don't know, honey. I don't think he can. He's too busy. He's too busy. Hey! Oh Tony, gosh. how you doing, buddy? I'm Aaron. Nice to meet you. I like nice that jersey you got on. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you. Where are you thank from? You. Thank you. Where are you from? Where are you from? Sterling. Sterling? Where's that? I'm new to the East Coast. You Morris County. Morris County. Yeah. Nice. Yes, awesome. yes. May we ask you to sign this hat? Of course, yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. Can I take your coffee shirt first? What have you been up to this summer, buddy? Any fun? You go to camp? Tell them. Talk. Yeah. What do you do? Camp? What kind of camp? Ready? I get in this thing, yeah. One, two, this is awesome, buddy. Think about the perception of Aaron Rodgers over the last three years to now. To just publicly. This show just the and public that. perception and persona. I mean, even Peter King has shut up about him. I don't think, I think Peter King even likes him now. Yeah. Who was the guy who didn't vote for him for MVP because of his stance on COVID vaccinations? Uh, Wasn't it a guy in Pittsburgh? Well, no, he's with Pro Football Weekly. Uh, it's a guy I'd heard of, though, uh, that yes. done something on radio or somewhere else. I'll think of but it. But I've heard even that guy likes Aaron Rodgers. He would vote for him for MVP now? That guy, I think he might vote for him for MVP just based on that Hub video. Arkish. With that kid, that's it. Hub Arkish. Hub Arkish. Hub Arkish even likes Aaron Rodgers. That was awesome <laughs> to see. And... Um, I, I love videos like that with young fans. And it's cool to see the young fan get so excited they just don't speak or can't speak. Aaron Rodgers reeled off about, what, 10 questions there in that short amount of time. Yeah. And that kid was just letting his parents answer every question, just soaking it in with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Really cool to see that. Chad, uh, the rival of Rodgers, the other team that he owns, if he's the king of New York, he's also king of Chicago. Yes, uh, he's announced his dominance and presence there based on the record against the Bears throughout his career as the Packers quarterback. The Bears, they now have a new primary logo. They're doing away with the uh, wishbone C, at least as the primary logo. 
and they're going to the bare head instead. Um, so, you know, it's a, they're saying it's a subtle change to just kind of match up with their marketing. But the C is iconic, at least to me. Uh, the Bears logo, I thought the bare head was also uh, prominent as well. I, I don't think I would say I see one more than the other. Um, but why would you make the change prior to, right right before the season and announce it that you're doing the primary logo, it's now going to be the secondary logo and you're just flip-flopping them? Let me ask another question based off this report. Think about the helmet. Why should we care if it doesn't change the helmet? Well, because I, 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 here's why I say that. Okay. I, I'm watching the Bears this weekend in that preseason game against the Titans. Mm-hmm. And I turn to my eight year old daughter and I say, Honey, these are some of the best uniforms, not just in football, but on planet Earth. Yes. I love the Bears uniform design, the colors, everything about it. I have always loved since I was a kid. Never been a Bears fan, but a huge fan of that sea. That navy blue helmet, the orange seat, the the uniforms, the white, the blue, everything about them. I love their home, away uniforms, everything. As long as they don't mess with the helmet with the C on it, I don't care if they want to make the bare face, which is also a fine logo. It's fine. That's fine, too. If they want to make that their primary logo, just don't put it on the helmet. Don't mess with the helmet. If you want to do that with the other stuff, I don't care. Don't mess with the helmet. I'm assuming they're not messing with the helmet on this. Uh, It's been the... Uh, the Bearhead will be the top recognized primary mark for the franchise. Why the change? The Bear spokesperson said the Bearhead has been the co-primary mark. It is unique to the Chicago Bears brand. The minor change simply provides clarity for retail media and other team and league partners to start the creative process with the Bearhead. Yeah, every time they show a score graphic, they'll have the Bearhead and not the C next to it. That's what the primary logo is for. Right when you're looking yeah, at anything on TV or anywhere, the they'll put that on there. But just don't mess with the helmet. And they're they're also not changing the middle of the field at Soldier Field either. Still be the C. Good. Um, by the way, they, I, this made me think of like the throwback uniforms, uh, and the Bears are tossing it back to like their 1936 uh, version of of the throwback unis. Uh, many teams are doing this uh, with the, the the I think they're calling it the classic uniform. The Chiefs simply said, nah, we don't need one. We're just going to wear our normal uniform. I love that. And their normal uniform is pretty classic. They haven't really deviated much the Bears too, from the normal uniform. Yeah. Bears also. Bears, I feel like everyone has their closet team, the one that you kind of put away and you say, you know, if something really bad happened with my team and I, I could not root for them anymore, who would you be a fan of? Yeah. The Bears have always been that for me. Like if I could just start over in life and say I'm a fan of a certain team, it would be the Bears. And primarily because of the history and Ditka and Walter Payton and all of that too, but primarily because of that uniform and that logo and those colors. Justin Fields looked really good Yeah, in the first preseason. Two for two. Him. Yeah, Two touchdown drives in his, his two drives. Chad, uh, Trevor Lawrence certainly looked good towards the end of last season and uh, how he came along uh, in his uh, second season – with Doug Peterson in year one as the head coach. Now going into year two, Peterson is saying that uh, the consistency, uh, the confidence, it's as high as it's been for Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Quote, the biggest thing that I've seen with Trevor, now going on two years, is from where we had him a year ago in the offseason today, his confidence is incredible. It's off the charts. He's put that past 
behind him. He's focused on the future and really embraced this opportunity with this football team. The confidence level with him is extremely high, as it should be. This is, this is the guy that should make the biggest jump because he didn't go – most quarterbacks do make their biggest jump from year one to year two. And this is his. Well, this, he's now in year two with Peterson. Exactly. But, he had, but now you've got the full offseason with him. This should be it. And uh, you're done with that one year with, with Urban Meyer, and now you've got the true year two, even though it's three. Uh, to where he's now in that next tier. And in this day and age, you could see uh, Justin Herbert, who got paid a ton. He's currently the highest paid player in the NFL. Uh, He doesn't have the playoff showing. Uh, Trevor Lawrence will certainly get paid too. But to be mentioned in that top tier, he's got to climb the ladder in a a big way. Otherwise, he's, he's not an afterthought. But, Chad, he's also not one of the top six or seven quarterbacks that you just name in the AFC. And to me, he's got to be there based on the fact that he has been the guy from high school to college and was the unanimous number one pick a year and a half prior to him even entering the NFL draft. We knew where he was going. He's going number one. And if they get the most out of him, if Peterson works his magic like he has in the past with other quarterbacks... Jacksonville is a team to watch based on across the board, their young talent and their depth at certain positions. They're in a really great spot as long as Lawrence leads the way. If you're going down the list of AFC star quarterbacks, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Rodgers. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, Herbert. You go a little ways before you get to Trevor Lawrence. And I don't think that's a knock on him as this – generational possibly talent mm-hmm. as the number one overall pick to knock on Urban Meyer. He gets a mulligan in year one. That was an abject disaster led by Urban Meyer where he was not given a chance. So I'm with you, Hutton, that this is, to me, this is his year two under Doug Peterson. It's his, he got better in his rookie year. His rookie year was his one year under an actual coach than Doug Peterson. And now this is his second year where he's going to take a huge jump. I expect that from him. And we saw him be more vocal, even though he was the he was the leader the minute that they earned the first pick in the draft. He's more of a leader publicly too. Uh, at the end of that season, whenever Meyer got fired, and he became more vocal uh, and more out front with his opinions on things and where the franchise should go. Uh, that also carries a, a heavy weight within the the locker room. Players respond to that. And here's hoping Lawrence continues to do what he did towards the end of last season, and which was turn around the perception of, okay, is this guy just middle of the pack or can he be great? I think we're still iffy, but he's got the chance. Hutton will respond to today's show tomorrow with another good show tomorrow. That will be our response. We'll start at 3 o'clock Eastern. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network.